Hi, everybody, and welcome to Joint Air Christian Lifestyle, the podcast where we celebrate diversity within the body of Christ. I'm your host, Shane Fritz, and we're excited to be here and bring the fourth installment in our series of discipleship classes hosted by Destiny Church in Hanover. Uh, what a blessing it was to, to be able to teach this class. Uh, this evening, uh, we're going to be taking a look at prayer and fasting, and so we just hope that you really enjoy this. I know it was a blessing to us in the class as we went over this material, and I'm sure it's going to bless you guys as well. So until we talk again, enjoy. There's no, there's no second way to interpret that. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But we got to know. we got to stay in the vine, right? He said, abide. Abide in the vine. You abide in my words, I'll abide in you. And that's all that family covenant relationship. I'm in you and you're in me. We have to stay in him. We have to stay right there with him. We have to get to know him on that level, that intimate level, that gnosko level. Keep on going back to that word where we're going to go into it tonight even more. Last week we talked about staying in the Word, getting to know Him through the Word. Tonight we're going to talk about prayer. And actually the next two weeks, I think two, this might spill over into three, but we're going to really dive into Matthew 6. And You know, when you read Matthew 6, there's three things listed. It says, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. And Jesus gives such clear directions on all three of those parts. When you pray, when you give, and when you fast. Because it's really, it's, it's at the heart of getting to know Him and building our faith. Is our giving, it's our prayer, and it's our, our fasting. So I want to start looking at, at prayer first. And um, I think I got you guys with Matthew six as the top scripture, but I just want to open it up, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this, and I want you guys to just honestly, I'd like if all of you guys gave an answer. But if I asked you what prayer is, how would you answer that question? Anybody? I think communication with the Father. Exactly. Conversation with God. Absolutely. But that's exactly exactly what it is. It's communication with God. It's conversation with God. It's the second way that we're going to talk about getting to know Him. One is soaking in the Word, being in the Scriptures, letting Him reveal Himself that way. The other way is being in prayer, being in conversation with Him. Prayer is what makes Him real to us. Prayer takes your faith to the next level. When you're in the room alone with Jesus, and He's right there with you, and you know He's right there with you, He'll never be any more real to you than He is in that moment when He's in the room with you. And he's always in the room with you.
we pray, we, we praise Him. It's a time we come. We lay our sins bare before Him. If that's something that, that, that we have to do, it's when we thank Him. It's where we make our petitions known to Him, what we need. Let's go, in, uh, let's go ahead and open. Um, we're going to look at Matthew 6. We'll start in verse 5. It says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father, who is in the secret place, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. We're going to see that phrase there several times tonight. And your Father, who sees you in secret, will reward you in the open. I love what he says here. He says about, when you go into your room, shut the door. There's something, there's something so intimate about, about that moment when it's like you have made an appointment with Jesus. Am I right, Roy? Yeah. When you shut that door, and I'm here, God, and I'm presenting myself before you. Man, I, just last, let's see, it was Monday. I was preparing, I was putting this together, I was standing in the bedroom, the door was closed, and I read through this verse, and I just felt the Holy Spirit say, well, the door is closed. And I got down on the floor and I began to pray. As I prayed, I I just, I could see and I could feel Jesus' hand right on my back. And I was envisioning His hand on my back. And as I could see the scene before me, my head was laid on His feet. Before I knew it, I was weeping, and I could see my tears going down between his toes. This is what I'm talking about, about coming into that place where he's right there in the room with you. Can I tell you something? What you feel when you close the door doesn't matter. Sometimes the last thing we want to do is take the time. I mean, there's a million things we could do anytime. We're being pulled, we got kids pulling us this direction, you know, a work schedule, sleep schedule. I mean, there's all kinds of things that pull on our time. Sometimes the last thing we want to do is take that time to go in and close the door behind us, and yet it's the most important thing. It's when we come right before Him. It's when we go boldly, before the throne and he just gives us our audience right there. Seven goes on and says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. I always tell this story and I know I kind of went through some of my background with you, with you guys, uh, as we've been going going through the class. Um, as a kid, and I could probably still say the prayer if, if I thought about it hard enough. But like as a kid, every night my dad would sit down to dinner. He would say the same exact prayer. 
I mean verbatim, into adulthood. I mean, he said that for at least 25 years. I don't know if it's changed or not, but every meal he would say the same prayer. I can remember him praying about a food shortage in Burundi. And, uh, and he had prayed about this food shortage for years in Burundi, about a drought that had happened over there. And I remember finding out that the drought had been over for like two years. I was probably in middle school when I found that out. There's nothing, there's nothing that comes from, from vain repetition. What's he saying here? He already knows your heart. There's no heart in vain repetitions. There's no heart in saying the right things at the right time. There's no heart in trying to candy coat your feelings because you're going before God. He already knows what you're thinking. If you're frustrated, he knows. If you're angry, he knows. I told you the guys said, you know, I believe I told you guys, like, when I had that, that day that Jesus was just like, everywhere I turned, it was Jesus. And I'm like, what is going on here? And I sat down on that couch that night, and I prayed to him. And I prayed so angry and so real, like, Lord, you've got to show me. You've got to show me. Because I don't want to get off this couch and do another thing until you show me what I'm supposed to do from here on. saying it's a great thing to be angry at God, but what I'm saying is He already knows your frustration. If you're going through things at your job, if you're going through things with your spouse, with your kids, whatever it may be, He already knows your frustration. Why try to candy coat it when you go before Him? Just be honest and lay it bare. Full disclosure, right? It's that intimacy. It's that intimacy. You already know it all. You're already peering into me and I know it, so I'm going to open myself up and allow it. Yielding to it. Still got everybody with me? I'll try to say all the stories here. Let's go on here. Um, verse 9. And, and of course, we're all, probably most of us are familiar with this. these next couple verses. This is, you know, the, the model prayer here. Verse 9 says, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And he, you know, Jesus lays this out. And, and how many of us know a lot of people pray this prayer and, and it follows right after it. It says, don't, don't pray in vain repetitions. And yet so many people pray in vain repetition those, those couple verses there all their life uh, and it's meant to be a model it's meant to show us really what we're called to do what we're, what we're called to pray about you know the first thing he does is praise and glorify the Father right? holy is your name your kingdom come what, what's he going to say just a couple verses later seek first the kingdom and his righteousness your kingdom come your will your righteousness be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We said that um, we said prayers communication with God. 
conversation. It's not meant to be a demand list. I think about it with my wife. Victoria is a great lady, but if I called up Victoria um, on my lunch break at work and I said, uh, thanks for packing my lunch. By the way, I need the laundry done. I'd like dinner done. This is what I'd like to eat. Can you make sure the kids have this, this, and this done? And uh, if you can have all that done, and then that way I can go to bed at this time, and I hang up the phone. Hey, go ahead, Victoria. How would that go over? Right? She said none of it. I don't know what I would do. Right? And yet, what do, what do people do all the time? That's exactly how they pray. They give God a demand list. It's not a demand list. It's a conversation. That means there has to be there has to be questions that we ask and responses we wait for. Jump down there to um, Philippians. So I the right one? Uh, First Thessalonians uh, five sixteen through eighteen. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He says there, pray without ceasing. And I've heard people talk about that. And, oh, yeah, well, I, I can definitely pray without ceasing. In fact, I've prayed without ceasing for, you know, so many days in a row or, or so many hours in a row. And, and when they say that, what, what they're really talking about is the fact that they've continuously spoken for that long to God. I'd like to just point out here that if prayer is a conversation, we can pray without ceasing, and it doesn't have to be us talking all the time. We can stay poised to hear from Him. That's still being prayerful. If we're waiting on Him to answer, and we're being receptive to what He's trying to tell us in His timing, then we're staying in prayer without ceasing. What I love about this scripture, though, is what's He do? When Paul writes this, right? He surrounds it with mindset. What's he say first? Rejoice always. Come on, guys. Rejoice always. Regardless of circumstances, rejoice. The amount of joy that that we that we have isn't conditional, it's positional. We have to we have to understand that, that everything Jesus has already done is enough for us and in that in that place of where he's put us a place of um, of undeserved undeservedness I think is how Romans 5 puts it we can pray without ceasing we can go before him and what happens is when we rejoice always what are we doing we're blocking the bitterness right that creeps up when circumstances begin to Let's face it, steal our lunch money, and the next thing you know, we've got problems with this going on and that going on because we're not seeing how he sees, we're seeing how the flesh sees. The 
we rejoice always and we can pray without ceasing. What's it say that? In everything give thanks. When you think about that, in everything give thanks, let's flip. I believe I got the right scripture here. Let's flip flip over to Romans 5. Uh, we'll start in verse 1 and just read down through this, but, but this really makes the point, and, and Paul starts out there, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope and glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in the hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. What's he saying? You can give thanks in everything. Not in some things, not in the things that make us feel good, but in everything. Because even when you're having tribulation, even when problems are coming against us, there's something being produced in that. I think about... Um, an oyster and when you think about an oyster of course an oyster produces a pearl right but what what does a pearl start at start at it's a grain of sand it's a it's it's a foreign object that actually causes an irritation that becomes something beautiful that's what that's what happens with us that's why it's not just the, the subjective things that feel good that we can give thanks in, but we can actually find joy and give thanks in everything because it's all being worked together for our good, right? All right, let's, uh, let's go on to another one here. Let, let's look at Philippians 4, 6 through 7, and, uh, and I believe you guys have that there too. And it says there, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I love, I love, I love, and you'll hear this over and over again when I talk. I love absolutes in the Bible. Because when he says here, don't worry about anything, that's exactly what it means. There's nothing, there's nothing that we need to worry about. Instead, pray about everything. doesn't matter how you translate that out of the Greek. You don't have to worry about anything, and you can pray about everything. It's his will. That... You know, John 15, where, where Jared opened up at. Ask anything and it will be given you. Knock and the door will be open, right? We, we all know these, these scriptures. And yet they're the promises that, that we really, as Christians, we have to hang our identity on the promises. 
He makes these guarantees. Don't worry about anything. Just pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He's done. Praise Him in that time of worry. Lord, I don't know where it's coming from, but I believe what you've said. That the righteous will not be forsaken. I thank you, Lord, that you have made me right in your eyes. Then you will experience God's peace. Over and over and over again, as we go through this tonight, we're going to see God's peace entering into the situations where we pray. Peace that surpasses understanding. There's something supernatural that happens in our prayers. I understand when, when we pray, usually when we shut that door, we're in our bedroom alone, we're in our, our prayer closet, wherever it may be. Maybe we're, maybe we're at work and we're praying. And we start praying over a situation. And peace comes over you, even though in the natural, you know of nothing that's changed in that moment. It's really miraculous, isn't it? Supernatural. Supernatural. <laughs> and it, yet it's fairly yeah, natural to him, right? Prayer ushers in peace and is a channel to receive the love of God from the one who is love. Perfect love that casts out all fear. Alright, let's let's go on to one more here. Let's look at Daniel 6. We're going to go through a couple examples tonight um, of where Instances where prayer or prayer and fasting or just fasting um, are, are used in the scriptures and what the reasons and the circumstances behind them. Daniel 6 is the precursor to, of course, the story most of us, probably all of us know very well, right? Daniel getting thrown in the lion's den. And we have these men, these, these high-ranking government officials, and they don't like Daniel, and they want to get Daniel out of the way. There's only one problem. Everything Daniel does just looks like the Lord, right? He's, he's the prophet of the Lord. He, he's not going to misstep. He does nothing that they, can, that they can point at and say, you did this wrong. And so they have to basically um, you know, orchestrate a way that they can get him condemned. And so they come up with this plan where they have the king sign into law, right? That you can't go and pray before anybody else. You can't seek anybody else for, for counsel except for the king. And the king, the king loves Daniel. But, right? Yeah. right? The king loves Daniel. But he signs it into law. And as soon as Daniel hears about it, let's look at this. Verse 10 here. He signs it into law. King Darius signed the written decree. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. See, when the going gets tough, 
when life starts happening and all of a sudden we got stuff getting thrown at us from every direction, right? It's not the time to try to develop a prayer routine. But Daniel just went and did what he naturally had always done. He went right in, right into prayer, right? You think about it, like what happens? Think about like a boxer, right? Anybody ever seen a boxer? And once the boxer starts getting hit, right? What happens? You start getting those rapid hits in the face. Before you know it, they don't even know where they're going. All of a sudden, the defenses come down, and they're just—they're going to go down. At some point, they're going down. But yet, when trouble was coming against Daniel, that that wasn't something that was even going to be able to take him out, right? Because he had a routine. It was what's it say here? as his custom since early days and then what he had done for years. One thing that jumped out at me today, you all know Jerusalem, right? It's a city of peace. I was reading this scripture and you see what it says there. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. But sometimes we have to leave a window open. Sometimes we have to leave a door open to allow the peace of God to come in upon us, even in the midst of a hopeless situation. Daniel knew what was going to happen. He wasn't breaking his custom. So he knew, he knew that that custom was going to cost him. It cost everybody. Faith. This walk will cost. Amen? Amen and amen. <laughs> the walk will cost. And yet he's faithful. He's faithful. I mean, we know how this ends, right? Daniel goes down to the lion's den the next morning. King Darius comes out. Daniel, you alright? I'm good. The lions were fasting. <laughs> right? All of them. And we have to have that routine of prayer. It's got to be. It's got to be our constant. It's got to be our lifestyle. To pray without ceasing. To stay in that place where where we're pouring ourselves out before Him, and then we're staying open to receive from Him. talk about fasting. And then we're going to try to bring them both together. So fasting, first of all, the word the word rendered fast in the Bible, it literally means to cover one's mouth. And so I want to put out there that Really, it's not fasting unless food's involved. And, and I think, for the most part, we all know that. But, you know, you do hear people like, I'm going to fast from social media, or, you know, you know what I mean? And Cell phone. Right. 
cell phones, TV. But really, that's abstaining. It's not fasting. Fasting has to do with covering your mouth. So unless you're going to eat your cell phone later on, (laughs) right? You're not fasting from it. You're abstaining from it. And while that's powerful, when you abstain from something, you deny something from yourself. It's different than fasting because fasting is really an assault on your flesh. Um, And I'm going to talk about four things that fasting specifically does tonight. And, um, you know, the one, the first thing I want to talk about is that it, it literally weakens the flesh. And, of course, that makes sense. As you deny your flesh, it's going to get weaker. Why that's important, you know, if we look at a scripture like Romans um, 7, verse 22 and 23, now, Romans 7 is really powerful. I'm going to focus just on a small part of this, but but really it talks about this war that we're fighting um, pretty much from, from 14 on through to the end of it. But verse 22 says, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Literally talking about about the war of our minds. It's, it's what we want to do as opposed to, to what our flesh wants to do. Right? What, what's he go on to say, 24? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Because ultimately, the flesh wants to betray you into sin. Right? Thanks, Isaiah, right? The heart is treacherous, you can know it. Right? The mind knows, but the heart is a different story. There's desires that we're, that we're constantly going to fight. You know, we say it's our, our natural inclination, which is true, and yet we're supposed to be now above that natural being and be, you know, born again of spirit. Not, you know, absolutely, that's, that's what we are. And yet we're fighting every day on that level against the flesh. You ever think of it this way? Our flesh is, is on the earth. The devil thinks it's his. Because what's what's Ephesians tell us, right? That you've been seated in heavenly places. The spirit's already seated in heavenly places. It's a war as to who has rights to come in and out of the flesh. Right, right on, right on. So the first thing fasting does is that it weakens the flesh. The second thing that it does is that it empowers and strengthens the spirit. And it kind of does it by default, you know. We're talking about a war here. If we're making one side weaker, obviously the other side will gain strength. Uh, you turn to Galatians 5, uh, 16 through 17. It's a similar thought as to Romans. Said, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. 
These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. And when we look at Galatians 5 there, what are we talking about? We're talking about the works of the flesh as opposed to the fruit of the Spirit. And really, you know, as you go down through that account, it's not, well, I'm going to have some of the works of the flesh and some of the fruit of the Spirit. It's really, it's an either-or. Either you're going to fulfill the lust of the flesh or you're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of your flesh is the works of the flesh. What did we talk about just, um, I guess it was two weeks ago, right? We were in Matthew 7. Good tree produces good fruit, bad tree produces bad fruit. Good tree can't produce bad fruit, bad tree can't produce good fruit. Right? It's an either or statement. How we gain over the flesh, over those works of the flesh, in this constant struggle, is in fasting. Fasting is a great way to do it. Next week, you know, Pastor Ken's going to be here. He's going to be talking about kingdom. He's going to be talking about finance. He's going to be talking about when you give. When you fast and when you give, I'm going to just go ahead and put it out there. It's the two greatest ways you're going to build faith. Because it goes against everything in the natural. When you start denying yourself, I mean, I remember, I remember literally going into this time, I woke up, there's no preparation for this fast at all. I woke up for work. It's, you know, four o'clock in the morning. I hear God say, the next seven days, water in. I swear God, this is August. Next seven days, water in. While I work on my home, I want you to work on your home. This is what I'm hearing at 4 o'clock in the morning. And I did. But that's a leap of faith when you're talking about the middle of summer. You know, working 12-hour days. And then on top of that, he said, work around your house, too. Well, all right, we'll do that, too. Victoria remembers it. I don't know how, how I know the painting wasn't very good, but we did some painting around the house. <laughs> step of faith. Same thing with giving. I, I know Ken's going to talk about that next week, but like tithing. Man, when you don't know where your finances are coming from for the bills you have, and you write that check, you better have faith. But he's faithful. I say it all the time. Like Finances don't even make sense, yet they always work out. Sometimes he's not the God of you know, abundance as you measure in a bank account, but he's oftentimes the God of, you know, five loaves and two fishes. Always provides. But there's no there's no short track to gaining that record till you live through it, till you've done it. So you've had a time or two where it's like, I don't even know, but I'm going forward. You said it, I'm going forward. You take that leap of faith, take that leap of trust. And that's when you move ahead exponentially. Fasting is one of those places. Number three, I just kind of hit on, but it builds faith by forcing us to rely on God to sustain us. I mean, when when you start talking about those extended fasts, have to have four on Have to. And man, you're whew, 
everything will start, everything loses its taste. Everything looks good, even the stuff you never thought you'd like starts looking really good to you. You guys know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? That flesh, man, it'll cry out. Number four, it positions us to humble ourselves, to wait to receive from God. What did we talk about? It was last week or two weeks ago. Now we were in uh, we were in First Peter talking about humbling ourselves, that He would exalt us in due time. Humility being the ability to receive from Him. When you fast, it's a heart posture where you're waiting on Him to sustain you. You're waiting to receive what you need from Him. A lot of times you're waiting just on answers from Him. Sometimes you go to fast, it's just for, for direction, clarity, you know, all kinds of different words we can use there, but really we're just waiting on Him to speak to us. That's okay. What fasting isn't, it's not a hunger strike. Prayer is not a demand list. It's a conversation, and fasting isn't an ultimatum. It's a means of posturing our hearts to receive them. You guys all doing okay still? Yep. Because if we're not careful, the same way the same way prayer can take on that that demand list mentality, and you know, we really need something, right? When scripture says, you know, knock and the door will be open, keep knocking and the door will be open. Right? So sometimes we start we're rapid knocking, and it just sounds like a demand list. And we say, oh my goodness, well we got a fast about this, right? And then we go into a fast. I'm waiting, God. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for this to happen. But it has to be about waiting on Him to answer, not waiting on Him to give exactly what you're asking for. He's going to answer in three ways. Yes, no, or wait. Right? Let's take... I believe that um, His timing is better than ours because a lot of times when I ask for something and then um, don't get it right away, later on down the road he was protecting me from something that Labo took me out well just like when um, my son Jacob took his life Okay, um, not even two weeks after that I was at work on my Harley-Davidson. And I had every intention to leave work, go meet my wife, and go get something to eat. But something set in here said, Roy, don't do that. Just go on home, meet her at the the house, and go get something from there. She totaled my truck. Her and my daughter, Sarah, on 97, a little old lady pulled out in front of me. Now, I would have been that lead person I would have been, you know what I mean? That would have been me, not the truck. Right. On my Harley. I mean, that is almighty man here in the Harley. 
That's Almighty God's protection right there. Absolutely. And you think, I mean, you think about Proverbs, right? I mean, what's it saying? Proverbs is a way that seems right to a, way, to a man, yeah, but it's way to the end thereof. It's to death. It's got to be about his plan, his timing, his right. You're sort of, I mean, you're, you're right on there, really. Right. It's got to be His timing and His plan. How many times is it that we're seeking one thing? Not, I mean, I'm talking from I'm talking about myself. You're seeking one thing. You can see how one thing you can pull these two parties together, and maybe you know this is starting to line up and everything, and you think that's the way you're supposed to go because it makes perfect sense. The way that seems right to us. Uh, Man, and yet God has got people you don't even know yet that are actually coming into alignment with you. He's bringing it all together, and it will be better than you could ever imagine. Stay humble, and then He'll exalt you in due time. I mean, that's what the fasting. One of the ways fasting, you know, to stay humble and stay in that place ready to receive from. Let's look at let's look at this. Um, Second Samuel. Look at David here. A good example. Second Samuel twelve, and we're going to start um, in verse fifteen, just to kind of set the, the backstory here. First, you know, David here is just really just coming out of this really bad sinful situation at Sheba and uh, you know he has uh, her husband killed they have a child together Nathan calls him on it and when we step in here to 12 verse 15 Nathan is just leaving the house of David 15 says and Nathan departed to his house and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife toward David and it became ill David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted, and went in and lay all night on the ground. There's another purpose for fasting here, it's intercession. This is really what David's doing here, he's interceding for his child. Lord, I want you to spare him. He's in, in this place of prayer, he's pleading with God, he's being totally open and honest with God, he's fasting, he won't eat, and he's laying there all night. Right, and you can just picture even this prayer posture. Right, he is just before the throne, pleading with God. Seventeen goes on. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was alive. We spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that this child is dead? He may do some harm. David's so distraught, they're worried about what he may do in his grief. It says there, when David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground 
washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. And he went to his own house, and when he requested that they set food before him, and he ate. David interceded, he fasted, he prayed. But when David gets this news, what's he do? He goes to worship. He anoints himself, he cleans himself up, and he goes and he eats. And 21 says, Then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And David said to him, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? David, David literally said, I went and I prayed and I fasted because who knows, maybe the Lord would spare his life. Maybe God would act in that place. And David got it. It wasn't a demand list. It wasn't, it wasn't the small child, you know, holding his breath until he gets his way. David went and positioned himself before God. He fasted. He prayed waiting for an answer from God. When he got the answer, he got up and he worshipped and he cleaned himself up and he ate. He wasn't fasting just to get his way. He was fasting for an answer because he didn't know what God was going to do in the situation. You guys tracking with me? 23 says, But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. He understood. His fasting, his fasting wasn't going to continue on in a grieving process. His fasting was to find out what the answer was from God. Let's go on. You guys good? I'm jumping around here. I got it. I don't know that we're getting through it all, but we're going to try. Hey, what, what passage do you say? You said God, if you ask God to move, God's already moved. we got to get to where he's at fasting and get you that fasting. Absolutely. Think about it. I mean, how often do we, I mean, honestly, Speaking plain, you know, you go, we go to we go into worship services, special services, whatever. You know, and everybody's crying out, "We want to move with God. We want to move with God. We want revival. We want to move with God." God never stopped moving. God has not stopped moving. He didn't slow down. I mean, he's picked up the speed. He's not slowing down. It's not a matter of God moving. It's a matter of us awakening to see what it looks like when God moves. When we, when we get that revelation that God never stopped moving, and it's a matter of us getting on the train and moving with Him, He's not stopping. Like, He's not. He's not stopping for anybody. Get on, get on and ride. But we have to see it. And honestly, you know, that's, we talked, uh, 
we were in Joshua the other week, you know, and that's what we talked about. It's how they saw themselves, but it can also be how we see God. They saw themselves as grasshoppers, and so they were. We see God as not moving, and so he's not. But if we see God, that he never stopped moving, that he didn't stop outpouring the Holy Spirit, that when Jesus said, these works I did, or these works you'll do it greater, right? We're coming into, you know, we keep on proclaiming, and, you know, for, for generations now, we've been proclaiming that this will be the generation of the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and yet... Are we really pressing in, in our generation, to push that next generation there? Because when you go back to Joshua, oh boy, I'm like, I'm going to be sidetracked now, but when you go back to Joshua, right, now we've got to go back to Numbers. They were on the edge of the promised land. They were looking into the promised land. It was theirs to walk into, and a whole generation missed it. They missed it. It was theirs. But they didn't step through the open door that God had opened to them. They came out of there saying, nevertheless, right? Nevertheless, there's giants in that land. There's fortified cities. I don't think we can take it. And they let what they thought might happen take away the blessing that was sure to happen. Go back to where we came from. Right. <laughs> Let's go back to where we came from. Boy, it was safer when we were just staying in the pews. Warm. So, now you guys got me sidetracked. But it's got to be where we see ourselves. You know, Jared said it really good. You know, when we're looking at the flesh and and the devil thinks he's got rights to it because it's on the earth, and yet our spirit's already seated in heavenly places, but do we believe that our spirit's seated in heavenly places? Do we believe that all authority, when it says all authority was given him, do we believe that all authority was given him? We believe that as the body of Christ, all those principalities are under the feet of the body of Christ. It says it right there in the scriptures. You know, is that is that the reality of how we see it? When we read Revelation 1, it says you have been made kings and priests, but are we living like kings right now? I think one of the most powerful verses in the gospel is uh, Matthew 17, and it says these people only come out by prayer and fasting. And that's actually removed from certain certain versions. Yep. It's, I think it's something to do that. Because he says it removes unbelief. And that's what we battle with. The identity, the unbelief that we are seated in heaven. We're God's children and warriors. You know, that we're full of the Holy Spirit. Just like the flesh like puts a veil over that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you guys have that. I think you guys have that scripture on your list. Um, let's go ahead and read that. I think I got 18 through 21. Everybody, okay, so this account, what's going on here, um, you know, the disciples, they, they've been taking care of business. They've been doing some things. They've been casting out demons. They've been, you know, they've been healing people. Things are happening. But they come across this man, right? And they're trying, they're trying, they're trying, this demon won't come out. He can't cast this demon out. 18 picks up and said, And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. 
For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And so what did we what did we talk about with prayer and fasting? Prayer does what? Makes God more real to us, right? When you're in prayer with God and you're communing with Him, He's so real, right? When you fast, what's it do? It's an exercise of faith. This is what tears down strongholds. I mean, these these are the strongholds. I mean, we're talking about a demon here, but what we're talking about is what becomes a stronghold. Because they were trying to get this demon out, and this demon's hanging on. But how many of us have tried to get rid of something out of our life, right? I mean, whether it's an addiction, maybe it's a personality trait, no matter what it is, there's something we've tried to get out of our life, and it won't come out easy, and all of a sudden it becomes a stronghold, and maybe it's not ever going to come out. Right? It could even be a health thing. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not specifically saying a health thing, but, but it could even be like a healing. Because we see stuff like that, and people get hung up on why this hasn't happened for them yet, right? They need a million reasons why, and then there's uh, more strongholds. Because it's an agreement, and you're agreeing with the demon. Right. And then he's got, he's like trying to pull him out and he's hanging on the fence. Yeah, it's like like when you try to put like a like a cat into a cat carrier, right? And then legs go out. It's like you're, there ain't no way you're putting that cat down in that cat carrier. But that, I mean, that's literally what we're talking about here. But it comes out by prayer and fasting. I'm glad you brought. That was the next scripture I found here. You get in my notes, don't you? <laughs> All right, one more I want to talk about. Are you guys good if we hang out a little longer here? I, don't, I know it's not. We're not going to go too long, but, but there's some stuff here I want to hit yet. Um, let's look at Acts 13, uh, 1 through 4. And I'll cover this one quick, but this this goes along with like seeking guidance, seeking clarification. And this is when uh, Paul and Barnabas are commissioned. 13 once is now in the church that was at Antioch. There were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod, the Patriarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. To being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. They fasted, they prayed, they were worshiping, they were ministering to the Lord. This is where they were. And that's when the Holy Spirit came and gave them direction. And I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. But again, when you're like, when you're trying to figure out what direction you're supposed to go in, sometimes the best thing we can do is get this flesh out of the way. And you know, we talked about... Um, I know Brandy and I were talking about this last week um, after the, the class, but like when we're praying in the Spirit, 
what's it do? It gets our flesh out of the way so it can't interfere with us. Same thing that happens with fasting. When you break that down and the Spirit's allowed to become dominant, then the Holy Spirit will speak. All right. Two more scriptures. You guys good? Yeah. All right. Let's do. Uh, let's go back to Matthew six, and we're going to go to uh, let's see sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen. This is the when you fast. It said, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with the sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. You guys all good? We're good. Okay. Yeah, it's back up at the top of your page. Uh, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and then your Father who sees you in secret will reward you in open. Same same language we had with prayer. In the secret place, do it privately. It's not meant to be a showy thing. People will do it as a showy thing sometimes. Um, there's nothing wrong with a corporate fast, and everybody knows that, that everybody's fasting. Nothing wrong with that. But when he calls you to a fast, the attention and the focus from you needs to be on him. If it ever becomes about, you know, making sure everybody knows you're doing a fast, then you're really bringing the focus back right to you. That's where we, we want to try to stay away from. In the secret place. And again, you know, 17, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. It's the same thing we saw with David, right? When he was done fasting. 